If you don't know me, uh, my name is Kyle, as Paul said. Um, I'm predominantly based in our evening meeting, which normally meets in Seapoint, but obviously hasn't met for the last seven months, and we're currently meeting in here uh, in the evenings, but I am off, my wife is here every Sunday morning with the kids, typically, and I am here when I, when I preach, more or less, so it's good to be back. It's good to be preaching. This is mind-blowing to me. It's my third sermon this year, and it's in October. That is ridiculous, and normally I would be on the other side of a Madagascar trip where I would have added, like, 15 sermons to my, my year's schedule, so I feel, um, I don't feel rusty, but you can all be the judge of that by the end of it, uh, so let's see how it goes, but um, we are starting a, a brand new series today called Better Together, online, in homes, in venues. I'll take the gap, that is my friend Ian over there, and he, he does look like he's welcoming everybody back to be smashed over the head with the Bible. Um, he's a very loving, polite guy, um, but I just love that that is the picture, and I get, to, I get to enjoy seeing my friend's face aggressively saying, come back to God, which is actually a beautiful message, which is what this whole thing is about, so we're not going to rag him too hard. And he didn't pick the photo. Um, but our, our series is called Better Together, and this is, this is the big idea. I'm going to sort of give us an intro for the next three weeks. We're going to be um, taking a break from Mark, which we've been in uh, periodically through the year, for three weeks to, to look at the idea of gathering together as God's people, the sort of priority, the power, the privilege of doing that. And for a whole bunch of you, I mean, some of you are live right now. There's a webcam right there. Um, some of you are going to be doing this in homes for the next while. If, if that is you, I'll talk to you for two seconds. Um, that's a great thing, and I'm so glad that you are with us on the other side of YouTube right now. And now for the rest of the time, I will focus this way, and you guys can just listen in. Um, for a bunch of us on Sundays, that's going to mean gathering in homes, um, but also gathering in this venue, which is an amazing opportunity that we now have, and we can progressively do that more and more. And then also in life groups on Wednesdays. Sometimes that's on Zoom, sometimes that's in person, sometimes it's a bit of a combo or whatever. Um, but it's so cool that we're gradually having this ability to gather, and so it seems like an appropriate opportune time to talk about being the gathered people of God and the beautiful thing that uh, that is. And it is an awesome thing, um, especially to be in this venue. I think um, obviously many of you have made the, the call to, to be here and you've got the ability to be here. And that's amazing. And it's, we've already just seen the, the fruit of it and the, the, the cool stuff that we're able to do together just by hearing testimonies, hearing prophetic words, um, obviously just being able to see some people that you haven't seen in six months. I mean, I saw um, Polly and Drew's kid who I have not seen for seven months and she's just, she's just she's, she's a kid now. She's no longer a baby, which is just mind-blowing to me. Um, and there's just something about being together. Amish uh, said to me, during lockdown, she's saying, the one thing I, I miss, well, not the one thing, but one of the main things I miss is being able to sing together. And I know that now that she's been back for a few weeks, she's loved it. Being here, being able to just sit, stand at the front and sing corporately as a family with the people of God. It's a beautiful thing that I don't think we really take for granted necessarily anymore, having had the gap, but maybe we did take it for granted before, and that temptation is going to come back to just take things for granted in this, in this future. And so um, the whole idea is let's, let's work together to be people who, who desire to gather, because there is something about the, if you think about it, the collective family rhythm of the people of God for 2,000 years, every Sunday, coming together, worshiping Jesus, enjoying each other's company, uh, uh, hearing from God, being strengthened, or whatever it is by God. There's something beautiful about that rhythm that millions, if not billions of people have been involved in for 2,000 years. But here's the truth. It's awesome. It's brilliant. We're going to unpack that just now. But there is a war going on, 
And some people don't even realize, you might not even realize that this war is going on right now. And it's a war for this very territory in our lives to actually come together, to actually make the effort to get in the car or walk down the road or whatever it is to, to offer up this area of our lives. There is a war going on for that little territory. There's a real fight going on for that. And we can ask ourselves, well, is this COVID season where we've had ups and downs and separations, is this COVID season going to make us or break us? Is it going to make us? Are we going to actually realize this is the thing we need to do? Or is it going to just break us and make us realize, hey, actually, I'm just tired. I'm just done. Or I've, 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 I've got the YouTube video. So who needs the people of God? I've got that, that 30-minute sermon to get some information and insight. This is the choice. This is the battle that's before us. Is COVID going to make us? Is COVID going to break us with regards to this? And PJ Smythe, um, you might not know him. You might have heard his sermon um, when we did an advanced Sunday a couple of months ago where we all listened to the same sermon around the world, all the advanced relating churches. But recently he said this. He said, COVID is a God-given kryptonite. That's a Superman reference there, something that, that's going to hurt us, um, that has pushed churchgoers into the place of decision about whether we will, here's the, the, the language, stand and fight for being God's gathered people or whether we will give in to the three big traps of our world, consumerism, individualism, and hedonism. And those, those will come up on the screen now. But basically, those are big words for my appetites, on my terms, for my pleasure. That's the battle that's in front of us right now. And going forward, and in many ways, has always been the battle. But COVID has said, "Are you gonna? Are you gonna take this time to just go one way or the other?" There's a fork in the road moment, and this is the battle. And the truth is, um, maybe even some of us in this room today, you might look back over the last six, seven months and realize, "Hey, I have taken some knocks in this battle, and I have ceded some territory." And I'm just glad you're in the room. That means you're saying, "Cool." Game on, battle on, let's re-engage. And for whatever reason, you might have distanced yourself, but I'm so glad that you are here, or even right now you're listening in online. I'm so glad that you've decided to be together this morning because it is worth fighting for. It is worth fighting for. And this call to be the gathered people of God, this call from God to do this, has to be stronger in our lives than all the other options out there, right? It has to be stronger uh, than any other Sunday option we might have. Uh, in the evenings right now, I know there's a tempting little documentary that's coming up on Supersport. Well, it kicked off last week, Chasing the Sun. I don't know if you guys have heard about it, but it's a story of the Springboks leading up to the World Cup and how they were down and out and how they you know, came together to try and instill hope in a nation by winning the World Cup. It's a very tempting thing at 6, 6 p.m. on a Sunday evening for those of us who are part of the Seapoint community. There's a call to be gathered together. The call to be gathered together has to be stronger than all the the leisure options or the laziness temptation that's going to like fly loose with all the leisure options of being a Cape Tonian on a Sunday morning. Even in this season, you've got mountains, you've got beaches, you've got summer coming along. The call has to be stronger than that. And I believe the call also has to be stronger than just saying this. Online isn't just really doing, for, doing it for me anymore. And I know that's a massive temptation for all of us. I know that. But the call of God has to be stronger in our hearts than that, than just being zoomed out. Zoomed out is a reality. Let's be honest. Zoomed out is a reality. But the call of God just has to be stronger than that reality. It's a privilege. 
It's a powerful opportunity. It's a priority that we have to have to gather together as the people of God. It's why people in rural Africa still to this day walk for hours and walk for kilometers in order to gather with the people of God. It's why people in China in the underground church will risk imprisonment and very hefty fines to come and gather with the people of God. It's why people in persecuted countries risk their livelihoods and they risk their lives in order to gather with the people of God. Because it's that important, and the call is that high, and the call is that awesome and worth it. That's the thing. Hebrews 10 says this, Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good deeds, not neglecting to meet together, to gather together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. This is what we do. This is who we are as a people. We are a people who doesn't neglect to gather together. And we are going to be a people who encourage one another to continually gather together in whatever shape or form that looks like. Sundays, Wednesdays, in homes, in this venue, even online right now for those of us who can't be here for a whole bunch of reasons. So for the next few weeks, what I'm hoping will, uh, will happen in our hearts is that we will be clear and convicted on this on this call from God, that we will actually realize, hey, no, this is a priority, this is why, these are the benefits, this is what I stand to lose, this is what we stand to lose if we don't take this territory and claim this territory for ourselves. And so this is what it's going to look like. Um, you might remember at the beginning of the year, as Inner City, if you were here with us then, that we had this word um, from God for our church this year, and that word was maturity. We felt like God was saying, the one thing I want to do in you as a people this year is give you depth, sink your roots down, make you a mature people. And, um, well, let's be honest. God gave us a great opportunity, a great refining fire in order to mature us as a people. It's called a global pandemic. <laughs> and he has been in so many ways, and I've seen it, even though... Um, there's been so many hits on our church and in the world, you can see that there is, a, there is a, a depth and a maturity taking place in us as a people. But you might remember when we kicked off the year, we were saying, this is, what, this is what we're trusting God to do in our lives. This is what he's called us to. And we had a series where we looked at the three things that, that, that make up a mature believer that, that God is calling us to do. And that's this. You might remember them. Three things. We're called to be with Jesus, to become like Jesus, and to do what Jesus would do if he was here today in our shoes. Those three things. And we, we tackled them in our series at the beginning of the year. We called it Practicing the Way. Basically on an individual level. Hey, personally, every one of us needs to be with Jesus in our own space, in our own time. We each, as individual people, need to become like Jesus and be scattered in the world doing what Jesus would do. Sharing the gospel, um, uh, feeding homeless people, whatever it might be, there is good deeds and good works and things for us to be doing out there as individuals. But what we want to do now for the next three weeks is take those three things and look at them through the lens of being the gathered corporate family of God. Because it's not just the one, it's a both and. And we really need to recapture this thing now that I think we've, we've some people have lost the vision and some people have really caught the vision in this time. That, that's my view of COVID. Some people have realized, oh my gosh, I need to gather with the church. And maybe some of us have realized or thought, I don't think I need to gather with the church. I've got the internet. And that's where we come this three-week series. We're going to explore these things. We're going to look at the fact that I would say not only being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus, doing what Jesus did, not only as individuals, let me say, um, do we need those things. I would say those three things aren't even possible 
in many ways, unless we're gathering together. There is a huge dynamic to those three things that is not possible without the church meeting together and being a fellowship of believers. So that's the plan. That's where we're going. Some of you are in the room right now, and you're like, you're preaching to the converted, Kyle. You're preaching to the choir. See me. I'm right here. No need to tell me this, which is great, and I'm so glad you are here. But let me say this, and we know this. Some of our friends, some of our family have taken hits this season, and for whatever reason, have drifted away. And it's not enough for us to just say, well, I'm here, and it's all about me. Again, that misses the point. We're a family. We're a community. And so what I hope is that we will, God, through this three-week series, will instill a fire, a passion, a clarity for you to not only own it for yourself, but encourage others to come back in, come back into the fold where they have been uh, straying off. And for those of you who are listening online, you're invited to come back in as well, if if you're able. There are so many who are not able, and that is fine. But that's where we find ourselves. It's a community project. And today we're going to kick off with that first one, be with Jesus, and we're going to look at the presence of God. And for many good reasons, that comes first. You can't actually get on with the other ones unless you're in the presence of God. You're not going to become like Jesus, and we're not going to become like Jesus if we're not spending time with Him. And we're not going to be able to do the things that Jesus did if we're not shaped and molded by Him. And that's only going to happen if we are with Him in his presence. So that's where we're going. And if you're looking into Christianity today, maybe you came here today as a, as a visitor of one of our church members. So glad you're here. And let me just say, I hope that as you listen in, we're going to sort of go through the storyline of the Bible, looking at this thing of the presence of God. It's just one sort of thread. And as, as we track that, I hope that you will hear the central message of the Bible, the big story of human history, and how God would be inviting you today to respond to that. So, Here's the big question we're going to look at now. How is God's presence uniquely experienced amongst the gathered people of God? How is God's presence uniquely experienced amongst the gathered people of God? And let me just say, we all know that we can say that God is everywhere, right? That's 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 an orthodox belief. God is omnipresent. He's all over the place. Listen to the psalmist in Psalm 139. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. Go from the east to the west. Wherever I go, you're there, God. There's nowhere we can run. And it's part of the reason uh, why right now people can worship God from wherever they are. They don't have to be in the venue. They don't have to be on a certain mountain or in a certain venue. They can worship God from wherever. It's one truth that we want to hold on to. It's why people have been able to worship for the last seven months, not being in this venue. So God is everywhere. We can say that. But there's a tension. There's another truth that we want to hold with that at the same time. And that is to say that God is everywhere, yes, But at times, we can also say, God is here. Do you hear those two things? God is everywhere. But also, at times, we can say, God is here. He is in this place. And what we're talking about there is the manifest presence of God, where God manifests himself more tangibly, more more in a a presence, I don't know what I'm saying here, a presence way, I'm looking for a word, that a tangible way, that's what I'm looking for, thank you, Lee. A tangible way that you cannot get just on your own. It's a, it's, a, it's a separate reality. It is a separate reality. And from the beginning of the Bible, you'll see that it's a great passion of God to presence himself with his people. 
to come and be in their midst in a way that they can experience Him, that they can be changed by Him, transformed by Him, and know that they are in the presence of God. This desire of God, this passion of God, and you'll see it, is what probably drove the psalmist to write, God, what is mankind that you're mindful of them? Why do you care about us, us little creatures down here? Well, He cares about us because He wants to hang out with us, to put it in the most colloquial way. God, the omnipresent creator being of the world, wants to hang out with us and be with us and be in our midst. So what we're going to do now is we're going to go through the story of the Bible. And I want you to picture a timeline, okay, from that side of the stage to this side of the stage. And on that side of the stage is the past, eternity, the beginning, and over here is eternity future, okay? And we'll just work our way through the story of history, through the story of our people, through the story of the Bible. And so you start off with God's presence in the garden, the Garden of Eden. And right at the beginning, you have Adam and Eve, and you've got the book of Genesis saying that God was with them, and he dwelt among them, and he, it says even he walked with them in the cool of the day. There was just this beautiful experience of being with God. And what happens, we're about two pages into the Bible. Adam and Eve fall into temptation, and they fall into sin, and it says that they, they hid themselves from God's presence. Hear that word, presence, straight away. And we see that the very first story of the Bible, we've got God's desire and his design to be with his people, but sin enters the way, and people choose to remove themselves from God's presence and go after other things. Right in the beginning of the Bible. And it has devastating consequences. The separation from his presence has devastating consequences. And Adam and Eve are cast, and humanity with them, cast out of the garden, cast out of the manifest presence of God. And all the evil, all the pain, all the suffering of human history is a result of this. It's a result of sin which removes the glorious, the wonderful, the manifest presence of God in which human beings were intended to live and intended to flourish. And this is why we fight sin, and this is why we encourage each other to to battle sin and, and seek the presence of God and seek repentance and grace, because the presence of God is where flourishing happens. So that's a really rough start to the story. Let's just call it and then move on. Rough start to the story. God's presence with his people stuffed up in two seconds. And so we move on as the story takes an upward trajectory now. God's presence on Mount Sinai with the people of Israel. This is what's happened in the story so far. God has then decided he's going to start a rescue mission, and he's going to work through one family, the family of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, which then become the people of Israel. And what's happened in the story so far is that the people of Israel have been freed from slavery in Egypt by these powerful plagues, and now God comes once again to presence himself with his people for the first time. And it happens on Mount Sinai. Read with me Exodus 19. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they took their stand together at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him in thunder. So as the Israelites gather and they wait on God, God shows up, and God speaks. And God still does that today. When, when the people of God gather together, God shows up, and He speaks to His people through His Word, through the preaching, through prophetic words, through a whole bunch of things. God speaks, and He shows up in 
power. And it's more than often amazing, and it doesn't leave people the same. You will find so many people transformed and changed and trajectories changed because they were in a gathered meeting where God rocked up and did something or said something. And I'm pretty sure most of us, if you've been a Christ follower for long enough now, you'll have moments like this. You'll, you'll, you'll remember back onto church meetings or camps or whatever it was where you were together and God just did something or he said something over you that just tweaked something or changed something and opened up doors, opened up a vision for your life, stopped you doing something that was hurting you. Whatever it is, God does things. He speaks in these gathered moments. I remember six years ago, um, this is a very quick story, uh, we were at a student's gathering. I was one of the student leaders at Common Ground in Rondebosch, and we had the student gathering where we were opening up space. The whole night was basically opening up space to pray and have God speak to us prophetically. And about four times that night, four different individuals came to me and all brought the same word, the exact same word, said, Kyle, you're called to preach. Kyle, that word that came over there from that, that was for you, it's called to preach. I'm on my knees, I eventually get up after praying for two hours, and someone comes, by the way, um, God's called you to preach. Honestly, by the end of the night, I was literally like to one of my friends, I get it. <laughs> I got it. I hear it. I 100% hear it. God called me to preach. That was six years ago. Clear as day. God rocked up and spoke. I remember Seapoint Camp last year. Uh, we just had this night um, where we, we had gathered together. And it was one of those nights where someone brought a prophetic word and then someone confirmed that with something else. And then someone got up afterwards and said, yes, I want to share my story of baptism. And then someone else said, I also was feeling this thing of baptism. Let me get up and share about baptism. And it was this beautiful um, Holy Spirit choreographed moment that was, you could not replicate it. Because God shows up and he speaks to his people when they gather. And Moses knows that the presence of God is the thing that his people need. Listen to this. He says uh, a little later on, Exodus 33, and God said to Moses, um, if your presence, uh, sorry, Moses said to God, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. They're in the desert right now. They've been released from slavery. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in our and your going with us so that we are distinct I and your people from every other people on the face of the earth. Moses knows that the presence of God is going to mark them out as the people of God. And my goodness, we need that as common ground inner city, to be marked by the presence of God, to be a people that the rest of Cape Town and the rest of the world can say, oh my goodness, God is with those people. They've been marked by his presence. There is something uh, supernatural and shining about those people. And God, I pray that right now you would do this in us. You would put this hunger um, and this desire in us, and you would mark us as your people by your presence. We don't want to go on, God, Sunday after Sunday, not being a people marked by your presence. So God, continue to do this on us. Continue to, 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 to bathe us in your presence, to show up in power, to speak to us powerfully, to bring words, to bring encouragements, to change trajectories, God. Mark us as your people so that the world will glorify you. Amen, let's keep going. Because this is worth fighting for. This is so worth fighting for. So let's keep moving. Next thing we see is God's presence in the tabernacle. So what's happened in the story is um, God said, cool, um, I'm no longer just going to rock up on this mountain now. I'm going to dwell with my people. It's an ever-increasing picture of what God is wanting to do with us. And so they, they set up the tabernacle or the tent of meeting. And you'll see in Numbers 11 here um, what happens. Moses is um, he's kind of really burdened by the pastoral load of, of leading the people of Israel at this point. And um, says this, Moses, uh, Numbers eleven sixteen. 16. 
Then the Lord said to Moses, Gather for me 70 men of the elders of Israel, whom you know to be the elders of the people and officers among them, and bring them to the tent of meeting, the tent of gathering, the tabernacle, and let them take their stand there with you. And I will come down and talk with you there. And I will take some of the spirit that is on you, and I will put it on them, and they shall bear the burden of the people with you, so that you may not bear it yourself alone. And so Moses does as he's told, and the Holy Spirit that was on him now comes to rest on all 70 of this gathered assembly, and they all start prophesying. That means they start speaking the word of God to each other. And it's still the same today. It's still the same today. As we gather together, God meets and he empowers us. That's what happened here. People were empowered to do something to serve the common good. And that's what God will do today. As we gather together, God will come down, pour his spirit out on us, fill us with his presence, and empower us to bear whatever burden it is that God has called us to bear in this time and this season. Leadership gifts are recognized and they're empowered in these meetings. And actually, it's important for us to realize, if you go to the New Testament and you look at um, all the examples and the verses of prophecy and public spirit-empowered ministry, they all take place pretty much in the context of the gathered meeting of the church, whether that's in homes, in the temple, wherever that is. It's all happened. This is the game this is the game field. This is, this, this, is where, this is where the action takes place, not just on your own on the mountain. That's a beautiful thing, but this is where so much more happens, where people are gathered together. And we do. We've been loving the fact that on Sundays, we've been talking as leaders, the fact that on Sundays, we're able to create space right now for people to come and, you know, we've prayed together here in, in the Sunday meeting. We've been hearing encouragements, prophetic words, testimonies. We want to continue to make space for God to to, to work through us in these gathered times as we, as we keep moving forward. So let's fight together. That's what I want to say. Let's fight together to not just come on a Sunday to consume a message because you can do that with your iPod on the prom. We're not coming to, to just consume a message. We're coming to contribute and minister to one another the power and the presence and the message of God to each other. And so let's come ready to do that when we gather together. Let's fight to be used by God to minister to each other. So moving on through the story, okay, done the tabernacle, now we arrive at God's presence in the temple. Okay, the temple was built by Solomon in about 1000 BC, so that's where we are historically. The people of God are no longer now cruising around in the desert. They have entered the promised land after a bit of a painful period of 40 years. The temple has been built, and this was a, a majestic wonder of the world. Everyone in the world at that point knew Solomon's temple and the temple of God, the temple of the people of Israel. And the temple has now become the permanent dwelling place for God. He now lives with his people in Jerusalem, Mount Zion. He presences himself there with the people. No more moving around. And he is he's honored in this, 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 this beautiful system and this beautiful venue that worships him and brings his presence to his people. And you'll read often, if you go read the Old Testament writings, people were stoked and excited to go together to the temple. Listen to uh, Psalm 122. I was glad when they, a whole bunch of people, plural, said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Let us go to the house of the Lord. That is where his glory dwells. It was a beautiful thing for the people of God to gather together, to even come from all the different provinces of Israel, to gather together at the temple from time to time for great meetings. But it doesn't stay that way. Unfortunately, again, 
Israel's sin, Israel's idolatry, means that they start to reject God, reject His presence. And so God says, cool, I'm going to give you exactly what you seem to be desiring. And God uses the Babylonian Empire to crush them and take the people away from the temple into exile in Babylon. And we studied that last year in the book of Daniel. When people don't want God's presence, He gives them what they want. And it's a sad state of affairs. But once again, what is God's desire? God's desire is still to have a people where he can dwell with them and be with them. And so he doesn't leave the story there. Even though that's what a whole bunch of the people want, he doesn't leave the story there. He doesn't leave them in exile. So what happens? It's the stunning central part of the Bible now. The timeline is ticking. Here we are, 2,000 years ago. God says, cool, I'm going to presence myself in my son in the flesh, in the person of Jesus Christ, this Israelite in Nazareth 2,000 years ago. So read John 1, 14. And the Word, that's the Son of God, became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And the word that John uses here for dwell, Steph might have mentioned this last week, but I could be making it up. I don't know why I'm thinking this. But um, the word that John uses here for dwell is a word that means God uh, spread his tent. It's literally the word that they use in Exodus for tabernacle. Jesus came and he tabernacled with his people. He spread his tent and he dwelled with his people in the flesh. Jesus was the new tabernacle. Jesus was the new temple. He called his body the new temple. And he was among his people. And he called uh, people to do what? To gather around him. He called the 12 apostles. And we read in Mark earlier this year, the first thing, the first reason why he called the 12 was so that they might be with him. And he gathered with people in the temple, and he gathered with people for meals, and he gathered with crowds of over 5,000 as he spoke to them. And he said things like, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. If anyone is thirsty, come to me and let them drink. Come to me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. Get into my presence. Get into proximity to me. And stuff's going to happen in your life. Jesus Christ is the ultimate example of the lengths God would go to presence himself with you and I. Because Jesus, Jesus came, and he came to not only live, not only to reveal God to us, not only to sympathize and empathize with us as humans, but he came to die on a cross and pay for our sins so that we might be reconciled back to the presence of God. And still today, the the, the gathered church, the gathering of God's people is the place where most people come to faith and respond to Jesus for the first time. I don't know, but most of us would have had a moment that we can remember where we said, you know what? I'm following Jesus. I'm repenting of my sin. I'm turning. I'm trusting in him for salvation, and I'm giving him my life. For me, it happened December 2005, a gathering in Kimberley with like a 1,000 people. I remember the moment, sitting there, counting the cost. If I say yes to this, it's going to mean a whole bunch of things. But sheesh, God's opened my eyes. He's got my heart, and I'm in. Happened within the gathering of God's people. It's a beautiful thing. But Christ's death is not automatically credited to everyone, as I said. It's only for those who want it, who want, who want to be reconciled to God, who want to be restored to God's presence, who want to live in his kingdom with him, in relationship with him. 
And if that is you, then you can have it. You just need to respond to Christ in faith and say, I believe what you did on the cross has made right the wrong of human history. Where Adam and Eve failed and I failed and we've rebelled from your presence and sin has taken over, your death has paid the price and I trust in you and the presence of God is yours. The person of Jesus, the Father, the Holy Spirit will come and be in your life. That's the invitation today. If you don't consider yourself a Christ follower, that's the message of the Bible. That's the story of human history. That's the story of us as a people and our family, as a a family of faith. And that's the invitation for you to respond to Christ today in faith and come into his presence. But now you might think, cool. If I read the story, Jesus died, he paid for people's sins, but then he left the planet. He, he literally rose from the dead and he went through the clouds into another dimension to be with God the Father. He's not here. How are we with him today? How do we presence ourselves with Jesus today if he's not here physically? Well, God presences himself today in his people, the church. In his people, God has now decided to reside. He said in, in John 16, Jesus said, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away, Jesus, in the flesh. For if I don't go away, the Holy Spirit will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Jesus is now presenced with us by the Holy Spirit in his people, in them as individuals and in us as a collective community. Acts 2 says this, listen. Acts 2, 1 to 3. When the day of Pentecost arrives, like the birth of the church, they were all together in one place. They were gathered. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to each of them and rested on each one of them. Do you hear that similar language to Mount Sinai that we heard earlier? Fire and thunder. God rocks up. And because the Spirit is now present amongst us as His people, well, He's alive and He's at work within each and every one of us. He counsels us, He helps us, He guides us, He comforts us. He empowers each and every one of you individually for the calls He's got on your lives. But He's also active and He's at work when we gather. He's healing, He's speaking, He's encouraging, He's empowering, He's giving gifts. This is exactly why Jesus can say in Matthew 18, uh, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am with them. Of course, as we said earlier, Jesus is everywhere. God is everywhere. But now when people gather, he's there in a special, unreplicable, unique way as our God. I want to just read this little extract uh, from a book. Um, Worcester, it's not that far away. It's in our backyard. 1860, there was a massive revival that broke out in this area. And this is one little testimony um, from from that whole revival that broke out. Uh, A little girl is about to sing a hymn in this little chapel uh, somewhere out in the the Worcester region. And a guy called J.C. DeFries, reflecting on this, he writes this. She gave out her, her hymn verse and prayed in moving tones. And while she was praying, we heard, as it were, a sound in the distance which came nearer and nearer until the hall seemed to be shaken, and with one or two exceptions, the whole meeting began to pray, the majority in audible voice, but some in whispers. Nevertheless, the noise made by the concourse was deafening. After that, the prayer meetings were held every evening. Sometimes the gathering continued to three in the morning. And even then, many wished to remain longer or returning homewards, went singing through the streets. 
The little hall was soon too small, and we were compelled to move into the school building, which also was presently full to overflowing, as scores and hundreds of country folk streamed into the village. The Holy Spirit, present, powerfully at work amongst his people. And I love that this is not a story from the Bible 3,000 years ago. It's our backyard like 150 years ago. It's real. God does this. And lastly, let me end with, well, where's it going? This is where we are now, the, the presence of God amongst the church. Where are we going? What's the destiny looking like? Well, here's the future. God is ultimately going to dwell with his people unveiled forever. Okay, Revelation 21 says this. John's writing, John the Apostle. He says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth, first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, that's actually the, the church, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven uh, from God, prepared as a bride for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. And what does the presence of God do? It says this, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. That's where we're going. Okay, paradise, the presence of God was lost in Genesis 1, but paradise and the presence of God is going to be regained fully. In fact, there's no such thing as paradise, and there's no such thing as heaven apart from the presence of God. That's what makes heaven heaven, and that's what's going to make the, the new earth and the renewed cosmos paradise. And John says, in heaven, I see a vast crowd, too great to count, from every nation, tribe, people, language, standing in front of the throne, worshiping. Get that picture of the gathered, multicultural people of God in the presence of God with sin, death, fear, gone. That's what we have to look forward to. And let me say that you just can't substitute your church family for a podcast. Do you feel the insignificance of that right now compared to what we've just read? A John Piper, Tim Keller sermon on the prom is just not going to cut it. Why? Because we're not just after insight. We're after encounter. God wants to be with us, not just drop some facts into our head. So let's fight together, friends. That's what I want to say. Let's fight together. Let's fight for each other. <coughs> to prioritize these times, to gather together on Sundays in life groups, prayer meetings, worship evenings, whatever the future holds, camps. Let me end with this quote from John Tyson. It says this, Every time we gather as the church on a Sunday, we are making a public statement to the world around us that we cannot be bought. Gathering together as a family says to the world, this is not up for grabs in my life. Time with the people of God in the presence of God is not up for grabs. You can't take it away. I'm not ceding this territory in my life. I'd love to uh, pray for us.